Welcome to part two of Habits. Um, we just had a funny joke, if, if you're watching online, uh, we just had a funny joke that you weren't a part of because you weren't here. But uh, if, if you come here next time, you can, you can catch it. Um, so this is part two. We, we realize that when it comes to a new year, this is naturally a time of year when people are thinking about their habits. A, a habit is something that you just kind of do naturally without thinking about, but this is a good time of year to think about what you're doing. Uh, what we are talking about today in part two really builds on what we talked about in part one. So if you're like me and you need a little refresher because there's been seven days between these two messages, or if you weren't here or just didn't catch the message last week, here's what you need to know from part one. In part one, Ben asked this really good question. He challenged you to visualize your own funeral three years down the line. So in three years, envision that you're at your own funeral and someone is standing up to give a eulogy or to tell the story of your life. And the question to wrestle with is, what story are they going to tell about you? And just visualize that. What story are they telling? And then the question that you naturally come to is, what story do you want people to tell about you in three years? And the reason this is a transformational question to ask is because it forces you to think about the things in your life that maybe you don't always think about. But before you get too self-centered, I love how Ben uh, guided the discussion last week or the, the message last week, don't get too focused on what you want them to tell about you because your story stems from your identity as a child of God. Your story should reflect God's presence in your life. God's, your story should reflect God's presence in your life. And so from from there, Ben came to this final point where um, he's talking about the power of, you know, little choices and little, little habits. And here's kind of his bottom line from last week where Ben said, even small habits can make a big difference over time. Small habits can make a big difference over time. The scripture passage was, you reap what you sow. Sometimes it might not feel like something is growing or developing or having any impact, but give it time, give it water, it will grow. Small habits planted over time can make a big difference. What we're doing is we're taking that premise from week one and we're coupling it with another premise that that has to do with habits. And the whole idea is this. We're going to talk about something today called a keystone habit. And a keystone habit is something that has a a wider influence than most habits do. In fact, I'll put a a summary of it up on the screen here. A keystone habit is a single habit that affects multiple areas of your life. Let me give you an example. Maybe some of you this new year, you resolved to get more sleep. And so a habit would be to go to bed earlier. Now, I think you're smart people in the room. Let's see if you can figure this out. If you go to bed earlier, you will wake up earlier. Yeah, see, yeah, there it is. We will wake up earlier. Now, if you wake up earlier, you're going to have more productive time in the morning. If you have more productive time in the morning, you're going to get a jump start on your day. If you get a jump start on your day, that's going to give you more time and flexibility throughout the day and put you in a better emotional state. So much so that you'll have this flexibility and maybe be more open to actually going to the gym and and working out. And when you work out over time, it's going to make you look better. And when you look better, that person at, 
in the college or, you know, that girl over there, she's going to notice you. And when that girl notices you, she's going to go out on a date with you. And, and then you're going to get married. So if you're single, you should go to bed early. That's kind of a silly illustration, but you know this is true. There are certain habits that just seem like a small thing. I'm going to go to bed 30 minutes early, 30 minutes early. But in the morning, that will free up so much different things. Or maybe if you go to bed 30 minutes early, that means you'll stop having that snack late at night, and that'll have a compound effect also the next day. Some habits are keystone habits that simply have a big impact over many areas of life. So what we're doing today and for the rest of this series is we're taking those two ideas. Small habits make a big difference over time, but what happens when that small habit happens to be a keystone habit as well? I'll tell you what happens. Number one on your sheet, you are one habit away from changing your story. One habit away from a different story. And for some of you, this is a hopeful message or a hopeful idea because as you've been thinking back at your life and what story people will say at your funeral someday, you came to the conclusion you need to change some things in your life. And the good news for you is that you are one habit away from a different story. Some of you, you, you're analyzing your life and you're saying, you know what, I'm on a pretty good direction. In fact, I think people will speak very highly of me at my funeral. What you need to hear is this, that you are one habit away from a different story, one bad habit away from a different story, one forgotten habit away. So what I want to do today as we progress into this real practical area of the series is I want to give you one spiritual habit that has the potential to change your story. If you do this one habit, it will overflow not just into your relationship with God, but this will impact your emotional health, potentially your physical health. It'll overflow into your relational health with other people, in some cases your financial health. This overflows into so many different areas of your life. But before I tell you what the habit is, because if I just told you the habit right now, I'd have to wrap up and we'd be done with church half an hour early and the musicians aren't ready yet, so we can't do that. Instead of telling you what the habit is, I want to show you what the harvest is at the end of it. If you reap what you sow, there is a harvest waiting for you. So I want to show you what the harvest is, and then I want to show you what the habit is that gets you there. Now to do this, I'm picking... And, and a section of the Bible here that I had to get underneath. I'm, I'm like, I'm not here to share my ideas or my wisdom, whatever. I'm here to learn from Scripture myself and bring you along in that journey. And of all the people in the Bible, the one person who probably knew the most about spiritual habits was a guy named Paul in the first century. The guy we talk about a lot, he wrote most of the New Testament. But this Apostle Paul, he wasn't always a follower of Jesus. In fact, in his earlier life, he was the opposite. It goes all the way back to his birth, where he was born a full-blooded Jew. He was a descendant of Abraham, a pure blood. I mean, when people looked at his parents and grandparents and grandparents, they said, wow, this man is a Hebrew of Hebrews. 
On top of that, when he was eight days old, he underwent the traditional Jewish rite of circumcision, which kind of marked him, this child is a Jew. From the very beginning, he was following these spiritual habits that set him apart. And when he was an adult, he chose as a path, instead of, you know, doing whatever, he decided to pursue being a Pharisee, a religiously elite person who would know the scriptures so well that he could recite them at any moment. And in order to become a Pharisee, he had to choose which seminary he went to. He chose as a seminary professor a guy named Gamaliel, which is not a Smurf villain. But Gamaliel was one of the Pharisees at that time who he was like the strictest. If you wanted the hardest boot camp possible, you went to Gamaliel, and that's where Paul went. And so you can just imagine all the things he went through from learning all these Old Testament laws and ceremonies and customs. And here's Paul's own self-analysis as he wrote his letter to um, some Christians in Philippi. He said, I am without fault. Anyone who looked at my life would say I had not infringed upon any of God's laws. I followed the letter. His spiritual habits were locked in tight. But it wasn't until later in life that the Apostle Paul literally stumbled upon a new habit. A habit that was so transformational that it made obsolete all the other habits he had been taught by Gamaliel. And as he writes a letter in the first century, he's pouring into this this habit. But before he shares the habit, he's going to share with you the harvest. He's going to show you what happens and the overflowing things that happen when you put this habit into practice. Here are his words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God said, by the way, I'm going to read it. We're jumping into chapter 4. We're kind of in an unsettled territory because you're just jumping into this. We're going to read verse 6, and then I'll kind of fill you in on some of the background. God said, let light shine out of darkness. God, who said that, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And that's a lot of theological jargon kind of bunched in there. So here's the background for what Paul is saying. In chapter 3, Paul was bringing up this guy named Moses, from whom came all these practices, laws, or if you want to call them habits, habits that uh, were were guiding and forming the people through many centuries. And, And Paul picked out this one episode where Moses was on Mount Sinai with God Almighty. And when Moses came down with those tablets of the Ten Commandments, his face was literally glowing. Now, women, sometimes your face is glowing when you see the guy on TV or whatever, or you're with your your man, right? His face was literally emitting light to the point where he was freaking people out. Now, the, the sad thing about Moses, you know, he had this glory of God imprinted on his face, and he was literally glowing. The sad thing was that day by day, the, 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 the glory or the light was fading, and he did, it was such a sad thing, he didn't want the people to see it, so he basically put a bag over his head until it was completely gone. The sad, sad thing. But Paul said that was because the glory of Moses was a fleeting glory. The commandments that he had were not able to sustain anything. His habits were good, but they didn't produce lasting response or lasting result. 
And now he compares Moses with Jesus. He says, no, Jesus is different. We have seen the face of Christ and the glory of God, which does not fade. And this has been given as a gift to you. You were dark. You were different than God, unfit and unable to live in his presence. But now you've been given the light of Christ in your heart. And Paul is just marveling at the immensity of this gift in this phrase. You have the light of God's glory in you. It's his gift to you. And then he he goes on with some familiar words. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power from God is from God and not from us. We have this light inside of us, but you know what? You're still a jar of clay. You're not some glowing thing out in this world. You look like a normal person to everyone else. On the outside, you're average. But on the inside, you have an all-surpassing power. The purpose, Paul says, is so that when people see you, they don't see something special on the outside. They see some, something powerful on the inside. And Paul says, this is your first hint at the harvest when you have a certain spiritual habit that guides you. The harvest goes on. He's going to say a little more. Verse 8, he says, We are hard-pressed on every side, jars, jars of clay as we are, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. What he's describing here is a resiliency, a strength in spite of your surroundings. What I sometimes say is, when you follow Jesus, when you have that power of his forgiveness in your heart, it might not make your life better, but it'll make you better at handling the life going on around you. That's exactly what Paul is saying here in this verse. When you have that power of God's forgiveness in you, it might not make life better on the outside, but it will make you more resilient to withstand it. This is the story that God wants to be told at your funeral. Here it is. Matt was hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. You can go on. Read it for yourself. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. This is the story God once told about you. But you know the story that sometimes I opt for, and I think you opt for too? It's not the story of victory, but sometimes for some reason we opt for the story of being the victim. I was pressed on every side, and it was not fair. I was perplexed, and no one stopped to tell me what was going on. I was persecuted, I was made fun of, and nobody was there to help me. I was struck down, I was beaten down, and I was crushed. I can't recover from that. Why is it that we exchange the story of victory that God has written for us, and we exchange it for this story of being the victim? And the thing I think it comes back to is what Ben cautioned us about in the first part. We tend to make our stories too much about ourselves to the point where there's no room for God to be in it. 
So here's what I want you to know. Maybe this is a moment for you to say, God, my story has been too much focused on me, so much so that there has not been enough room for you. Would you forgive me of that? Would today be the day that you start a new story where I am not the hero, where it's not up to my jar of clay to be strong, but one in which you are the power dwelling within me? Number two on your sheet, what you need to remember is that Jesus invites you to be the conqueror because he was already the victim. There cannot be two victims in your story. If Jesus is in it, he was the victim for you. He was pushed down. He was persecuted. He was despised. You get to be the conqueror. Maybe some of you are saying, man, Pastor Matt, or some of you just say Matt, or some of you say Most Holy Reverend Matt. But either way, (laughs) it's a thing. It's growing. It's growing. You might say, Matt, you have no idea some of the things that are pressing in on me. You have no idea on how I've been pushed down or how I've been treated. And granted, I I might not know your story. I might not know it. But I just want to give you permission to just feel that out for a little bit. You You might think this next statement is more true of you. You might say, Outwardly, I'm wasting away. If someone were to look at my life on the outside, they would say, wow, what a sad story. Just life was just against you. You, you. you were dealt a bad hand. Wow. Outwardly, you're wasting away. And, and if the Apostle Paul were here, and if he were counseling you, he'd say, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. But he doesn't go the route of the victim story. He doubles down on being the conqueror that Jesus died and rose again to make him. Here's what he would say. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though though outwardly we are wasting away, though outwardly our life hasn't gotten better because of this all-surpassing power in us, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. There is a harvest of renewal that never runs out if this habit is present in your life. There's this amazing harvest of renewal, and it's right there with you. This is the story that God has called you to. And then Paul goes on one more verse, talking about the troubles and the things that we go through. This is a different perspective. He says, for our light and momentary troubles, I just want to pause there because 2,000 years ago, their troubles, I would argue, are a lot worse, were a lot worse. They didn't have modern medicine. They didn't have Wi-Fi. Life was horrible back then. And especially if you were a follower of Jesus, life was a lot less certain. But here's what he said. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, are building up for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. If you could just see things differently, you would be so less focused on the the horrible things happening in your life and how bad they are and how drawn down you are by them. But you would see that these bad things are just getting you one step closer to something that you can't even measure in days or years. There is an eternal glory far outweighing all of them. Hashtag man flu. 
there is this glory awaiting. And now he finally gets to it. He says, this is the harvest. This is what happens. The, the kind of resiliency that you will have if, if you do this thing is that you will have strength in your life. Your life might, might not be, getter, be, be better, but you will be better at life. And you will have this all-surpassing power inside of you. He says, here's how we have it. Verse 18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Here's why. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What is seen is small. What is unseen is vastly bigger and more important. What if you could just go through life seeing the things that were really most important? And, and maybe you might ask Paul, okay, this is kind of a, I get where your habit is going of, you know, seeing what is unseen, but I can't see what I can't see, Paul. And, and so you might ask Paul, what do you see, Paul? And here's where I like that we have the freedom to go beyond chapters and verses. Paul didn't write, you know, the fours, the fives, the sixes when he wrote his letter, or the, the names of the chapters. He simply wrote a letter, and then someone else later, much later, ascribed numbers to it. Here's chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what I think Paul was seeing and envisioning. He said, we know that the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. Play on words, he was a tent maker. It's like, see what I did there? We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. What kind of a building? An eternal house in heaven. What kind of a house? Well, it's, it's not built by human hands. So what does it look like? Exactly. See what you can't see if you want to know where you're going. Isn't that so true? When, when you're hiking, when you're hopefully driving, you can see things, you know, and you kind of compensate, you take steps, you turn the wheel, you, you live your life based on what you see. Number, number three on your sheet, quick. We, what you see shapes how you live. It shapes the decisions you make. But the question is this. What if you just can't see the things that are most important? What if? What if you could see what you can't see? What if you could see the angels that God sends to guard over your way? Visualize that. What if you could see that? How many angels are in the room? What if you could see the presence of angels at the bedside of your loved one and then watching their soul go up to heaven? What if you could see the presence of the Holy Spirit when his word is being read or listened to? What if you could see that happening? What if you could see the power of Jesus transforming the heart of your spouse when you decide to respond to them with unconditional love when you didn't have to? What if you could see the heart of your heavenly Father who day after day after day watches and waits for those who misused him and his things, waiting for them to come back. What if you could see God's face for you? The face of your father 
What if you could see that? What you see shapes how you live. So here's my big thought and idea for today. When you visualize what God declares to be true, what you see will shape how you live. When you visualize what God declares to be true, it will shape how you live. And the big way to do this, here's the big conclusion. You might think, okay, so to do this, we're going to read our Bibles every day. And some of you have tried reading your Bibles, and it just doesn't work. You try, and it doesn't work. Try, and it doesn't work. We're going we're gonna to work together on that in a, in a week. I'll explain why in a minute. But here's, I think, a bigger keystone habit, that if you put this bigger habit into place, it will make you a better, better Bible reader. And I believe if you put a different keystone habit up in place, it will overflow in many numerous ways into all different parts of your life. The keystone habit I'm going to challenge you to put into effect today, you could do this in two minutes, is to do this. Make it a habit to envision what is eternal. That might look like this. When you go to bed early and get that extra 30 minutes in the morning, you won't only get married, but you'll, ha you'll have a chance, you know, to um, do some other things. What if this, what if you just decided, you know what, tomorrow morning when I wake up and after I get some grace in the form of a cup of coffee, I'm just going to give God five quiet minutes. I'm just going to sit there, maybe with my eyes closed, and just envision what it looks like to be in the presence of my Father in heaven. And maybe as I close my eyes in the darkness, I'm visualizing my Father, a kind Father, whose kindness welcomes me, whose love makes it authentic and okay for me to lay my sins and weaknesses before him. A father who wants to fill in my life with his strength and his power so that I am resilient in all situations. Just picture yourself in the presence of your father and what you'll find is grace. You'll find forgiveness. And what you might end up finding is you'll wonder to yourself, I wonder what he would say to me right now if he could answer. And maybe in that moment, you'll reach over to your Bible and find out. You see, a keystone habit which will impact every area of your life is if you make it a habit to just pause and envision what is eternal, to visualize what you cannot see. Wouldn't it be true that your life would be different if you could see the angels, if you could see the Holy Spirit, if you could see Jesus, see all these things that God says to be true? Well, if your life would be different then, then why not visualize it to make that change a reality? Your Bible reading will get better and more interesting. But more than that, your relationships will become healthier. Your emotional state will become more grounded. Your physical health, perhaps, will be changed. Your financial health and the relationship with money, that will change. This is a keystone habit that if you do it over time, has the power to change your story. That brings me to one final thing. We do want you to read your Bible. 
for, for, for this series, we want that to be the tangible result of it. So Ben and I were thinking, what would it look like if our whole church were to go through a Bible reading plan together? First of all, I'm the logistics guy, so I'm like, Ben, there's no way to make that happen. Um, we got 800 people or five, 600 adults. How are we going to do all this? And first of all, it's optional. We'll leave it at that. Uh, second of all, we know some uh, small groups do their own Bible reading plans already, so if this is, you know, not everyone's going to do this. But we want to lay out a three-week Bible plan where all of us have the opportunity to jump in if you want, and here's simply how it works. Each day, if you sign up, you'll get an email for three weeks starting next, not this week, but the next week. You'll get an email every day with a few thoughts. Nothing, it's not like a big 30-minute thing. It's just a short, short something to get your, your mind rolling. And then a chapter of the Bible to read. And the question that we were thinking and pondering through this is what it will happen in a church when all of us take this journey together? Can you imagine what happens when everyone in a church just pauses to visualize the presence of God? Imagine the impact in all of our individual lives and just imagine what we as a church will do. I'm not saying that we're an unhealthy church. I think we're a little above average right now. A lot above average, but but just imagine that relationship with God becoming even more crystallized. This is something that I think is pretty exciting. But it all starts with this. If you were to die in three years, what story would be told about you? The good news is, no matter what story is on track right now, one habit, one habit is enough to change your story and enough to start you on a path towards a different one. And what we've seen today is simply this, that there is great power in what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And the more you see, the more it changes your life. And the more you visualize God's presence with you, the more he has over you and with you. So, Watch for an email. If you want to sign up, by the way, there's a QR code on your little uh, sermon notes handout. That's what the QR code is. Some of you have just been listening to this sermon this entire time, just waiting for what this QR code is. So you can stop paying attention now. The uh, QR code will, will basically take you to a sign-up page. We'll, ha- we'll ask for your name and your email. Your name and your email. That's all you have to do. If you don't like QR codes, I get it. You can just go to our website, BethlehemLakeville.org. And on the home page, we made it real easy, on the home page, you'll see a link to a, a three-week Bible plan. And uh, that'll simply put you in the system so that when this plan starts, you'll start getting those daily emails that guide you to visualize God and start reading his word. I hope you can join us again next week because next week is going to be just as good as today where we talk about uh, what it means to have a keystone, perpetual, lasting habit in the area of your emotional self. And yes, men, you have an emotional side to you. And this is going to be especially for you next week, so I hope you can come back for part three of Habits. Let's close today with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, maybe all we need is just a little space to ponder what that phrase means. Father, the kindness, the grace of our Father in heaven is so inviting, so powerful, and yet so comforting. 
It's truly amazing the amount of, of grace and forgiveness that you can demonstrate to people like me, people like us, who so often just don't want to visualize what you declare to be truth. And as a result, we wander and wander and we misprioritize. But with you, there is forgiveness every day. With you, there is renewal every day. So I simply ask that you would give us the wisdom to put what we talked about today into practice, to find that time during the morning or afternoon or evening when we can just have time to think about you. And as we do so, draw our minds and attentions to, to, to your forgiveness, because we need it, but also drive it to your direction, which you place forth in your word. I ask your blessing on all of us as we join together in the prayer that Jesus taught.